0: Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 to 34 Jesus is talking about the kingdom and we've been talking about the kingdom ourselves the kingdom of God is that place where Jesus is present and Lord in this world in which we live Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 it's a kingdom that is totally, totally the opposite of what we know in this world Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, if your eyes are good your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. (coughs) Therefore, I tell you do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. his kingdom, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Lord, we come before you as a people who, who live in that last line. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you are one who lived in the same kinds of times that we did. You lived in occupied territory, you lived with violence, you lived with unbelief. And You lived with all the kinds of stuff we are surrounded with and yet you said, trust in me, trust in my Father and you will know a victory and a joy and a life that is in direct contrast to your neighbours. And we long for that, Lord. We want to know more than just the theory of what we've heard. So we pray you'll speak to us this morning and that in speaking to us we will be encouraged not just in our minds but our hearts will be changed. So we ask you to, to breathe your life into this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prizes, Jean. Yes, you're all excited, aren't you? I lent this uh, guy to Jim. And now he refuses to be seen without a hat on. Um, let's see. I don't think I've got anything else in here. Ah, oh, there you are. He wanted that. And there we go. It's a gym lookalike. This is um, Chips. He's been around for quite a long time probably 25 years now. Picked him up in Piccadilly a long time ago. Ooh. And uh, he sort of helps me sometimes. And because I'm not a ventriloquist it 's a little amateurish, but what i 'm trying to do with him this morning is uh is um, summarize what we talked about last week. last week, we said uh, God created the world, that's the world and before God created the spirit of God hovered over whatever there was there, and God's spirit spoke, and the world came into being and then God created and I, you know When I say this, we don't need to get upset about how did he do it. Quite honestly, I don't care. You can have a big bang, but somebody makes the big bang, right? So it's the cause behind the universe that I'm talking about. So God created. And he created by a spirit speaking a word. And the tangible came out of the intangible. It's very important. God is nothing like us. So when we look at the world and we compare this earth to the models of the rest of the universe, we are absolutely nothing. If you've ever seen those pictures, the earth compared to the galaxies, compared to the universe is nothing. But God in his creative power and wisdom and his choice created humanity and he created Adam and Eve to walk in the garden with him like this. He created them to, he said, I want I want my creatures to have life and to have life that is secure in me. So I want them to share in my life. But he also allowed, because there had been rebellion, and again, each phrase I make, I want to spend the whole day talking about, but I'm not going to right now. Um, There was rebellion, and uh, Satan existed, and was basically somebody, a power, that was not able to take God head on, in terms of he couldn't fight God, but he could fight his kids. And so, as with most bullies, and as with most sore losers or terrorist groups, what you do is you go for the weakest length And you just keep on pounding at them in order to try and crumble and destroy uh, the, the mass of power. Now, I grew up in South Africa. That's what happened, for a good reason in many ways. But apartheid was defeated because there was a terrorist group that just kept on gnawing at the foundations of something that should never have stood in the first place. So it sometimes works in a good way, but in many ways it's not. And God said to the people that he created, Adam and Eve, he said, I've only given you one rule, and that is don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and Satan came along and said, he doesn't really mean that. And all I'm illustrating is, is the voices in our head, which we all know very well. One's kind of doubt and unbelief, and the other one's faith. And the voice of doubt comes from Satan, or whatever you want to call it, and he says, he doesn't really mean that, you're not going to die. But Adam started looking. They started considering and saying, maybe it's true. And so they took a bite of the apple. And as soon as he bit the apple, he hung out somewhere else. God came walking in the garden and Adam's problem and Eve's problem was they hadn't anticipated that the disobedience, the eating of the apple, and it really makes no difference whether it's an apple or a grapefruit or whatever. It's the fruit doesn't matter. What was the, the action caused them to feel a guilt and a conscience they'd never felt in their lives before. And they didn't know what to do with it because they didn't know what guilt was. And then they found that guilt was something that like sent a steel shutter down and said, we've got to hide from God. Why? Because this thing is in the way. And so God walked in the garden and he says, the first question in the Bible is, where are you? And he knew where they are, but he wanted them to answer and they were hiding somewhere. And they said, Well, we ate of the fruit. And of course they didn't say that. They didn't say Adam didn't say, I'm so sorry, God, I ate of the fruit. He said, It wasn't my fault, somebody came and she made me do it. And he made me do it, and somebody came and made me do it. And God said, Well, you know, no matter who made you do it, you can't stay here with me anymore. And and I love you. I love you more than you love your children. But my justice means that if I let you stay with me in the state of uh, your evil, you will be, you'll be, uh, I will kill you. I will kill you because you cannot exist in the same place as me. You've become infected. And so through the Old Testament, what God did was He had His people living on earth and earth became a place that was now a prison camp, a place of refuge, a place where Satan or evil began to rule only because God allowed it, and there's all kinds of things behind this. But God raised up a few people over the uh, centuries who, who stood up in this place that began to forget that God even existed. Human beings began to say, this is our world. There's nothing more to life than us. If we don't understand it, it can't be true. And God raised up people called prophets every now and again. They said, uh, and, and he spoke to them and he said, tell the people that there is more to this life than what they see. That there is a truth beyond what they see. That they are not the sum total of all creation. And some people said, thank God, because if this is it, we're stuck. And other people said, no, I want to be God. So they killed the prophets. And there was also a a murmur and a a word that began to to, to rise up in the people over the centuries that said maybe God's going to free his people. Maybe he's going to come and reveal himself again. And so once, uh, 2,000 years ago, in a stable in Bethlehem, the second Adam was born, Jesus. And he lived on earth like Adam should have. And he became the visible expression of God's purpose for your life and my life, where he said, this man who is totally human, he was called the Son of Man. This man is in 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 a relationship with his creator that makes him most alive, most powerful and also most authoritative Overcoming the enemy that is in the world around. So he healed diseases. He set people free from all kinds of afflictions because the root of sickness is not God. And he showed power over that. And then finally, uh, because the depth of the disease was very, very deep, people didn't want to hear that God existed and they were accountable, so they said, let's kill the messenger. So they tried to kill Jesus and they'd rolled a stone over his tomb. And they said, Well, that's that. And on the third day, surprise, surprise, even to the disciples, the stone was rolled away and Jesus rose and they said, What is this? This is amazing. This is unbelievable. And God said, Of course it is. From your perspective, I am totally unbelievable. But I am God. And so the resurrection of Jesus became one of the most significant facts in human history. It's not a myth. Over 2,000 years ago, in a place called Israel, there's more documentation around the legal possibility, if you like, or you have to look at it like a lawyer. There's more factual evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than for the existence of most of the literary figures that we uh, use today in English literature, for instance. Huge amounts of evidence. And Jesus rose from the dead and he he appeared to his disciples and he appeared to over 500. It was unbelievable. Because he was God. That's That's why I love it so much. That's why I think it's so cool and so true. Because if God was believable to my mind, he wouldn't be any bigger than me and that would be totally depressing. You laugh. What about you? Yeah. And so Jesus said to his disciples who had now... Been broken, they had tried to follow him, they had failed, they had said, No, we don't understand, they had tried to say to him, Do it this way, not that way, and he said, No, I'm doing it the way of the God's kingdom, not your way. There was a conflict of kingdoms, as we've talked about in the last few weeks. And eventually in their brokenness, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared, and they said, Wow, maybe all he said is true. He says, Wait in Jerusalem and I'll give you power. And what he said was, I'll send you my spirit. And my spirit is the person that helped me while I was on earth, like you. And he will be with you forever. And so the disciples waited in Jerusalem until they received the power of the spirit to be followers of Jesus in his strength. What we're talking about this morning is, is this your life or is this your life? Do you have a power in you that's not your own? Are you trying to follow Jesus in your own strength? If you are, you'll end up depressed, defeated, and you'll give up. Everything will be a drudgery and you'll see no truth in what you hear. It'll just feel like some teasing that goes on forever. You won't enjoy singing songs because they'll be meaningless. Worship is meant to be as enthusiastic and as cool as cheering the Canucks when they score a winning goal. Being absolutely serious. I've taught worship for 25 years and I've often said to people, I've seen you in a hockey game looking more enthusiastic than you ever do in church. And the reason is because I don't see Jesus alive. There's no accusation in that. As we were singing and just before anyway uh, I was going to talk, there's a a phrase that came into Actually, this looks depressing like that. Anyway, maybe it's a good visual aid for some of us. He's sitting looking at me with his mouth open. (laughs) Enough of that. Maybe Maybe I'll tell you what I heard in a minute. Man, the world's falling over too. Okay. So I want to spend a bit of time around this controversial area of the person of the Holy Spirit as we started talking about last week. It is enormously good news. Enormously good news. But it is one of the most controversial and sad distortions in the Christian church. But if I was Satan, I would do the same. I'd confuse you over the very thing that will bring you life. So Jesus said wherever he was, the, Holy, the, the kingdom of God was present. The kingdom of God is the authority of God reestablished in this world. It's like this world is, was a whole rental unit and Jesus came into the world and said, by the way, this belongs to God. And all the people living here said, well, this is mine, I paid for it. And he says, well, you sort of, but you were actually robbed anyway because you were under the illusion that this was for sale. And he said, my son went to the cross, he paid as well. And the kingdom of God is to restore the authority of God on earth and also to draw back people who are living empty lives that basically are seeking for meaning and only finding it in all kinds of vicarious ways of power struggles, business deals, drug addiction. You know the story, the long list of stuff. And there are lots of respectable addictions within the Christian church. We are all sinners, we are all screwed up, we are all people who struggle to say yes to God until we begin to see the nature and the character of this loving Father who revealed himself in Jesus. And Jesus really often spoke as we read about the kingdom was totally the other way around. The world we know it is like an upturned boat. It's like an inside-out quilt. It's totally different from what God created it to be. And so he says, uh, let me show you with greater clarity uh, what is meant to be. 1 Corinthians 13.12. I'm going to race through a couple of things just to show that it's not just me talking. 1 Corinthians 13.12. Paul says... Um, That's uh, not'm uh, sorry Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What he's saying is, we don't see anything clearly on this earth. We need help, we need revelation. And revelation is what Jesus brings into the world. In John eighteen thirty six Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. And I'm underscoring this point because I think if we're not careful, we take Christian teaching that Jesus gives, and we sort of fit it into our thinking in our world, and then it actually looks like us. And it has no power, it has no life, because we've made it what we want it to be. And so we start off by understanding that his kingdom is different. And therefore I'm saying, Lord, how do I know? Uh, who you are calling me, me to be? And he says, "In uh, he says at the end of Acts, uh, at, at the end of uh, John, and the end of the the uh, sorry, the end of Luke. Let me, uh, I will come to you, wait in Jerusalem for power. I say this all the time. And the phrase that I heard as we were we were singing songs or worshiping this morning was, um, the disciples had to wait six weeks in Jerusalem for power. And his word to us is, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait six weeks. It's here. There is more power here than you have any clue about. There's more power for healing, there's more power for changed lives, there's more power for hope and joy in your life than you have any clue about. But as long as you approach this merely from a human perspective and take the wonder and the mystery of Jesus out of the way, you never get to that place. Because you're always trying to figure it out, and the promise that was given is in John fourteen twenty five. Just hang with me here, please. John fourteen twenty five, and he says, "All I this I have spoken... He's talking to his disciples, and he's preparing them for when he leaves, and he says. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And then he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. I do not give to you as the world gives. I've been around churches for 40 years and by far the most Stuff that goes on in churches is as the world gives, as the world teaches, as the world does stuff. And it's dead. How many Bible studies does one go to? How many meetings? How many conferences? In the end, they become the idols. The meetings become the life. And it's death. but I can look pretty spiritual while I keep away from the Lord who says, I don't give it like the world gives it. And so when Pentecost, when the Spirit came, the Spirit was the presence of God that hovered over the beginning of the earth and the Spirit was the presence of God that came upon Jesus before he began his public ministry and empowered this human man, because that's what he was, to do remarkable things. And it fell upon these disciples who were totally un- unexpected, and they spoke in strange languages, and that gets us all excited. But out of that, where they were released into a ministry that turned the world upside down. Personally, I say, "Bring it on, Lord. I'll do anything you like, because I want to be there." What does that mean? Peter said later on, he said, that We're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, This is the promise of Joel that, that the Spirit will be given to the, the, you know, the fathers, the grandchildren, the children, the children's children for many generations. The promise is for us. Imagine you walk into Bill Gates' office, although he's retired now, but imagine you're going to Bill Gates' office and you're meeting with him and his business partner. And you have a talk about Microsoft, and you have a talk about uh, being an ap- ambassador for Microsoft around the world. And you're a little bit nervous and intimidated, and uh, at the end of it, there's a remarkable thing happens. Because as you're about to go, and he says, well, here you are, here's a binder with some of the Microsoft stuff, and off you go and be a representative around the world. And he, he then says, oh, by the way, um, James, my, 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 my business partner, he's, he's going to be with you. So all you need to do is keep company with him and represent Microsoft. You breathe a huge sigh of relief and say, oh, it's not on all my shoulders. He said, no, of course not. I would never entrust Microsoft to you. (laughs) Well, I was reviewing this uh, talk on Monday morning and found that the batteries had run down and so this is where the talk stopped. So I'm going to fill it in just to finish off for you. Uh, The illustration of, of Bill Gates and Microsoft was really a way to try and say that is exactly what Jesus did when he was resurrected. And when he uh, prepared the disciples to become his followers and and, and spread the word of God and spread the good news of Jesus and to heal the sick and to do what he did around the world after he had been resurrected, they needed help. They could never do it in their own strength. And so he said, wait in Jerusalem until I send you my spirit. So when the Holy Spirit came, it was the very same as Bill Gates, possibly uh, his business partner, going... Uh, with somebody who had visited him to to share his word around the world. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, his business partner, as it were, to be with us and to be with us uh, wherever we are so that we, together with him, could be what we could not be on our own. So it's the Holy Spirit living in us and with us that enables us to do what we can't possibly do ourselves. And with the Holy Spirit comes the presence of God, comes the reality of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is what makes the Bible come alive. The Holy Spirit takes the words of the Bible and makes them real. The Holy Spirit uh, changes our hearts. The Holy Spirit transforms our lives from the inside out. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He also brings with us with Him tools, the gifts of the Spirit that uh, are, are ours to be utilized for the building of the kingdom. Now, we used an example. and Imagine you're a doctor and uh, you've done all your studies, and you've learned all about medicine, and how to treat people. And you come out into the world to to be a doctor, but you don't have any consulting rooms, you don't have any uh, surgical instruments, you don't have any medicines. I mean, all you're left with is a lot of knowledge, and you're left with the ability to meet with people, and to diagnose their diseases, possibly. But you have no means of helping them, because without tools, you just have knowledge imagine uh, and and so so you need the tools in order to uh, be helpful in the healing of individuals your knowledge without tools is worthless imagine if you're a mechanic and uh, you're about to work on some heavy duty equipment and you have no tools you can't do it we talked about uh, maybe we went going to build a house and uh, Uh, Wayne was going to come up and we're going to give him a gift to help him do his carpentry and build a house. And we give him um, some surgical tools. Tools for for a doctor to do surgery. And we say, Wayne, here here are the tools for you to to build your house. And he looks at you and me and he says, what is this for? I can't build a house with a scalpel. Or imagine Bev and and, uh, Barbara are, are doing quilting and And we we hand them a whole lot of carpentry tools, hammers and nails and saws, and they say, we want to give you these tools so that you can do quilting. And they look at us and they giggle and they say, you must be out of your mind. We can't use these for what we need to do. Now these are silly examples, but what we're really trying to say is that depending what you're called to do will depend on the tools you need. And so a doctor can't use carpentry tools, a mechanic can't use a doctor's tools, and seamstresses cannot use um, uh, mechanics tools and the same principles apply when it comes to the Christian life and it comes to following Jesus and it comes to being part of his kingdom Jesus said wherever I am my kingdom is and then he, he goes on and he, and he, and he says uh, you will do greater things than I have done I will send you my, the counselor the comfort of the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth and you will do greater works than I do and he said to his disciples, therefore, wait in Jerusalem until you have received power and then receive the gifts of the Spirit. God's word is powerful and it's creative. And when the Spirit of God hovered over the earth, his words were spoken and things came into being. Let there be light and there was light. And he saw the earth and it was formless and void and he created and he created by his word. When Jesus walked on this earth as the Son of Man, filled with the Spirit of God, He spoke into the darkness of people's lives, and He cast out demons. He spoke into the uh, lives of people, and he, diseases were healed. He spoke words, and people were healed not even who were not even in His presence. The power of the spoken word of the Spirit of God has power to overcome the enemy and allow the light to become the light where there has been darkness. And I believe one of the reasons why we are so powerless, one of the reasons why we don't feel and sense the spirit and life of God in us or in our churches is because we are trying to use the tools of this world to build the kingdom of God. And you can't do it. It's like using carpentry tools to quilt. The words of the spirit are powerful. The words of the spirit that are poured out with whether they might be... Uh, the gift of tongues, whether they gifts of prophecy, whether they're words of knowledge. We need to take seriously the words and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they are not like this world. And one of the reasons we are so bankrupt is because we refuse to consider the fact that the way Jesus built his kingdom are not with the strategies of the world in which we live. And the tools, therefore, are voice-activated. They're, uh, they're not things that we can just conjure up in our minds. We need to follow Jesus. So let's look at Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, very often I'm sure we've heard the Word of God is living and active and we say, that's the Scriptures. And it is. The Scriptures do speak, they do penetrate, but it's not just the Scriptures. It's the voice of the Spirit that speaks to our lives today. It applies uh, the words of the Scripture into our lives today and into situations. And Jesus' promise in John 14 was, the Holy Spirit will come and lead you into all truth. The voice of the Holy Spirit always will back up or explain Scripture. You will never contradict Scripture. But it's really important for us to understand that that voice of the Word of God is an act of one. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's a living Word. It's not just a written Word that we read in the Bible and then try and translate and say, well, the Spirit is giving me the mind to understand. Of course, He does that. But as I've emphasized many times, I believe us following Jesus is is... Uh, is following the Spirit today, we will find that our wrestling is just as real as the disciples' wrestling was with Jesus when when he walked on earth. As Simon Peter wrestled with Jesus and said, no, do it this way, do it this way, so we do with the Spirit. We say, no, let's do it this way. We will inevitably be wrestling with some of the truths of God because they are so counterintuitive to us. That's why... Paul, one of the greatest minds this world has ever seen, in, in the end had his intellect smashed on the road to Damascus and Jesus said, why do you persecute me? And Paul really was persecuting Jesus because logically that was the conclusion he had come to and he was sincerely wrong. And so Jesus had to speak to his mind and speak to his heart and bring him to a place of death in order that he would renew his mind and then Paul became incredibly powerful in developing really Christian theology, under God's Spirit. So the, the Word of God is living and active, no question, but far more living and active than sometimes we allow. And so the gifts of God's Spirit are part of that life brought into, in, into being in us because Jesus said, you will receive power. As you come to me, as you give me your sin, as you, you, you say yes to me on the cross, that is the gateway into the kingdom. As your sin is laid down and my, my blood is poured over your sin and you are cleansed, I give you my, my spirit to make you new. And very quickly in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, the gifts of the spirit are described, I haven't got time to go into that now, but he says for the common good. The gifts of the spirit are always for the blessing of others, uh, for the building up of the church. They are, Jesus is a servant king, and everything he does is to serve others. They're not for our gratification. They're not just for us to play with. They're not just for us to say, oh, look what I've got. You know the stories well in 1 Corinthians 13, 14, where he says, if you have love, if you have, love, uh, if you, if you have this, the gifts of the Spirit, but you do not have love, you're just a clanging gong. And many ways that Satan has distorted the gifts of the Spirit in the church, is that He's taken them and He's given them... Uh, people have taken the gifts and then they've, they've, they've used them as badges of honor or as power trips. And so everything God gives has the ability to be twisted. And it's really important for us to understand that God gave Satan gifts as an angel that he never withdrew once Satan had rebelled against him. So we can, as Paul says in another part of the Scriptures, we can start in the Spirit and end in the flesh. He can give us gifts of prophecy and they can become... Uh, basically tainted and used by Satan if we're not careful and then prophetic words just become fortune-telling and they empower. So how do we know when the gifts of the Spirit are honoring to God or when they are being uh, used in a a, a malicious way? Well, that's why in Galatians 5.22 Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. He basically says, if you want to see and discern what is of God's Spirit as is glorifying to Jesus, look at the byproduct and how it is delivered. So he really is saying, the gifts of the Spirit always come with the character of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If it comes in any other way, then be very suspicious, because then it's fake. And because Satan cannot um, mimic love, love is the greatest hallmark, love, gentleness the greatest hallmarks of the authenticity of the Spirit. So that's what you want to look for. It is an incredibly exciting, powerful truth that Jesus uh, reminds us of and is exhorting us to. That's why Paul says, I am an earthen vessel, but I contain treasure. That is, within. He's always speaking about that. He's always speaking about in himself he is the greatest of sinners. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit in him releases in him Uh, gifts that are remarkable and gifts that are way beyond his ability on his own. And what Jesus was saying through uh, Pentecost, through my spirit is poured out to all flesh, he's saying you and I are invited into the same reality. We can know the power and presence of God, the spirit of God working in us and through us to heal, to have words of knowledge because the same Holy Spirit, Jesus' personal assistant or business partner, is with us because he has promised. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. So come to me and receive from me. But one of the reasons why I think we don't um, buy into this too easily or sometimes we get really hesitant is one of the reasons is we're just too self-aware sometimes and we need to understand everything and, and we're not going to understand everything. And so Jesus said a very, very important principle. As the disciples came to him in Matthew 18. He says, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" Their whole agenda was upside down. They were continually worried about uh, prestige or who's the best or who's the greatest. Must have exasperated Jesus. And Jesus was very gracious. And he called a child and they had him stand among them. And he said, "I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like a little chil- like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." And what is the hallmark of little children? It is innocence. It is teachable. Children are able to be led, children are able to be taught, children are able to be trained. They, they have an innocence about them that says uh, they trust the person who's leading them. And Jesus says, unless you begin to come to me with that kind of childlike trust and come into the kingdom like that, you'll never receive because you'll spend all your time questioning, you'll spend all your time arguing, you'll spend all your time saying, no, not this way, not that way. And you'll therefore never receive the delights and the power of the presence of my Spirit. A a child is is innocent. And a child, therefore, is the attitude we need to ask God for saying, uh, help me to lay down a lot of my prejudices. Help me to lay down the stuff that I get so rigid about. And unless I'm walking through the world and people are being healed, unless I'm walking through the world and people just fall down and say, I see Jesus when I see you, then you're like me. And I go, I need more of you, Lord. I need more of your Spirit. I need more of your, uh, your power in a way that is not of this world. Because all the strategies I've ever tried, whether it's persuasion, whether it's argument, whether it's discussion, whether it's reading books, doesn't change people's lives. It's your Spirit working. And one of the things our world desperately needs to see is evidence of the Spirit at work. You see this throughout the Scriptures. Evidence of the Spirit of work, people being healed, people being touched by the Spirit of God that then causes them to come back and say, who is this? This can only be the God because no human being could do this. And I think we desperately need this. Jesus says uh, in John 7, 37, As we as we finish, he just says um, to us, he says, come to me. On the last and greatest day of the feast, this is seven, John 7:37. 7, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. And so it seems to me Jesus is saying, as you come to me and as you receive my Spirit and as you give my Spirit room to move, that's the key, you will receive the streams of living water. You will receive the life and you will receive the power and you will receive the joy and all the hallmarks of the Spirit uh, that will give you a passion for following Jesus that uh, maybe you've never had before. And his promise in Matthew 7, 7, and we probably know it well, is ask and you will receive, knock and the door will be opened. So we need to, as I'm keeping on saying recently, we need to operate and come before the Lord Jesus and say, thank you that you say yes to me. Thank you for your promises. It says, I want to give you this. And so we only have to ask and then we need to, to receive it and walk out and say, thank you that you have given me your spirit. Thank you that your spirit lives in me. Operate from a place of thankfulness and you'll see the transformation of God's spirit as he begins to move in your life. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. And the Holy Spirit is a wonderful, wonderful person who walks with us today. He's with you right now, speaking to you right now, just as Jesus spoke with the disciples. But in that process of discussion and building the kingdom in us, we have this power conflict and that's part of the growth process. So don't be discouraged when you have that conflict going on inside you. That's why we need one another to help us. I think... uh, As we met together on Sunday, God's speaking to three different people. One person is one who he says, come to me for the first time. Come and and say to me, Jesus, here I am. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you have loved me so much that you have gone to the cross before I even knew you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Name what they are. And I ask you to come into my life and make me a new person. I think he's speaking to people who are stuck people who have followed him for a long time, but his passion has got lost, whose vision has got lost, whose focus has got lost. And he's saying to them, come, come back to me. Come back to me. Don't be discouraged. Receive my spirit afresh. You've forgotten that I've given you power to live in a way that you haven't lived. Come to me and let my spirit do in you what you cannot do yourself. You don't need to try so hard. You just need to let me love you and let me lead you day by day. Read my word, Receive my spirit and start living with my spirit as your companion. And then you will see life th- flowing through you like you've never seen it before. And there are others of us who who have experienced God and experienced his spirit. And we've got stuck there and we start saying, Lord, I need to grow. I need to grow further and more deeply into the things of your spirit. I tend to take control or it's become dead work. And so the Holy Spirit will we'll flow more freely as we say, Holy Spirit, uh, release your gifts in me. I want to be uh, equipped to do the extraordinary, not because I want to be glorified, but because I want to be effective in sharing your kingdom in the world with my friends and family. So, Lord Jesus, we bless you that you have not left us as orphans. We bless you that you have not abandoned us, that wherever we are, you are present right now and you have given us your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you as the third person of the Godhead. You are part of God the Father, God the Son. You are the Spirit. You take what is of God the Father and the Son and you make it real in the world in which we live. And we need your presence and your power. So we invite you to touch our hearts and lives again. We invite you to come in because we are thirsty. And we ask you to be released in us that we would know the gifts of the Spirit more fully and more powerfully in our lives and in Jericho Road and in the world in which we live from day to day. So we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. We come to you as people who are very earthen and we say, fill us again with your treasure and may may we grow in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen.